Appreciate that uh, so much. We're uh, continuing our series in the book of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 14, if you join me in turning there. Uh, we've been uh, enjoying this gospel uh, for quite a while now, and uh, we're in the midst of the last week of Jesus' life on earth uh, as he would walk the earth. And um, we've actually last week finished up, uh, or two weeks ago, finished up his, his public ministry. And so... Uh, um, we're in Mark chapter 14 this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to read this passage aloud for us. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of hate we're getting to the end of the year. We're going to be winding this gospel down here uh, soon as uh, we, we reach the end of it. So uh, uh, that'll be closing up kind of with the, uh, the end of the year here. Um, I, I'm going to miss it. I hope you're going to miss it. But uh, Mark 14, if you'd read along with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Verse 3 now, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. And said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do, good, do to them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burying. Mark 14, verse 9, Now verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done uh, shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. As you think about uh, what happened in this account, Pretty incredible when you think about it. Uh, here, here, is, here is someone who does something for Jesus that in that day was, was viewed as, as something really incredible. Um, I was hearing a, um, of, a, of a news article that was written about a couple, and uh, they actually had a job. They came up with a, a way to make money. And what they would do is they would put on special events for dogs. So they would have dog weddings, and they would have dog bar mitzvahs, and they'd have dog birthday parties. And, and you know, you say, well, what in the world could be the demand for that? Well, they would fly, I mean, folks would fly them all over the country to hold these dog parties at their houses. And they had started the business out making doggy biscuits and dog pizza and all this stuff. And it just grew into a uh, dog party uh, thing. Now, some of you have dogs, and uh, some of you even like dogs, uh, but I imagine for many of you, that would still be considered kind of extravagant, right? I mean, that, that's probably a, a, little bit, a little bit much. Uh, what is the definition of extravagant? Well, uh, one, one I saw that I liked said, lacking restraint in spending money or using resources, spending much more than is necessary. And uh, most, most of us, uh, even some of you with dogs, would say, well, that's a little bit over the top, you know, even there. That's a little bit extravagant. Let me ask you this question this morning. Is there a time 
when it is appropriate to be extravagant? Is there a time when it's appropriate to be extravagant? Not, not only is it a time that we would think is appropriate to be extravagant, but a time when Jesus himself would think that it is appropriate to be extravagant. So the title of the message this morning is, is simple. It's extravagant worship. And as we, we reach uh, this point in the Passion Week where Jesus' public ministry has, has ended, uh, let's consider this area together of, of what, is it, what does it actually look like to have extravagant worship for Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for, for the Word of God. The Word of God which is powerful to change lives. And Father, if we're honest before you today, we recognize that we fall short of your perfect standard. Father, we fall short of, of what you have called our lives to look like. And so we just pray as we meet with you today that your perfection, your wonder, the, our amazement at how great you are would just rub off a bit. Father, that, that we would see ourselves in light of who you are. And Father, that we would desire to change, to become more like Jesus Christ. Father, may we be people who are humble before the God of this universe. And Father, may we rightfully put you in your proper place today. Father, help us to have, be people who have extravagant worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we think about the Passion Week, remember, uh, as we, we talked about it, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He's, he's entered into the temple. The, the week is coming to a close. They tried to discredit him. They couldn't discredit him. He met with the Sanhedrin. They tried to discredit him. They couldn't discredit him. He left. He went to the Mount of Olives. He's talking to the disciples. He's given them instructions about his upcoming death. And we just finished that. They're, they've learned about the things to come. And all of a sudden, now the chief priests are going from the place in which previously they were just trying to discredit him. Now they're outright just trying to kill him, right? And they, they will seek to bring that about in these coming chapters as, as Passion Week comes to a close here. And so the question before us this morning is, is very simple. How do people respond to Jesus? You know, Jesus is right there in front of them. He's given, given the declaration of who he is. He's made it clear before all of the Sanhedrin, all the chief priests, all the scribes, all the Pharisees, he has made it abundantly clear, hey, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the one who's here. And, and they heard that and they said, yeah, let's kill him. I mean, that was their response. It was not bowing down in worship. They said, let's, let's kill him. Let's do away with him. And so how do people respond to Jesus? Well, First of all, we, we see very clearly those who love power seek to eliminate Jesus. And, and that's not new. That didn't just start happening here. Uh, as we read verse 1, verse 1 here in, in Mark 14 says, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. Let's, let's pause there for a minute. What was the feast of the Passover and of, of unleavened bread? Well, th this was a time, we, we, they use the term festival, right? Passover festival, that's when you put Passover and unleavened bread, the festival of unleavened bread together. Passover was thinking back to the time in Israel's past. And I uh, remember what happened back in Egypt, right? There in Egypt, the Israelites are trying to get away from Pharaoh. God is giving different signs. Moses has gone before Pharaoh and said, hey, listen, you let my people go, or if not, the firstborn children will die. Pharaoh says, no, right? I'm not going to let, let you go. Not, you, you're going to stay in bondage. I, I like having people who work for me. 
and all I do is just feed them enough to keep them alive? That, that was his response. Moses goes and gives God's message to the Israelites that day. And there was something they had to do. They had to take that lamb, and they killed the lamb. And they took the blood of the lamb, and they put it on the doorposts. And when the angel of death came that night to take away the firstborn, right, he would pass over the doorsteps of those who had actually followed God's command. Those who had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, he, the angel of death would pass over. And so Passover, this yearly festival, is a commemoration of what had happened in the past. How God had rescued Egypt and the Israelites, uh, the, the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery and bondage. And so they'd remember this once a year. It happened the first month of the year, the 14th day. The month is called Nisan. Right? And, and so, so they would actually kill a lamb still in that day. They would kill a lamb. You would, you would kill on the 14th day, the first month, you would kill the lamb. You would eat it the next day. Now he sounds like, well, that's a long time to wait. Well, just remember, in the Jewish calendar, the next day started when the sun set, right? So you just eat it that evening after the sun set is how we would describe it today. But that was the next day for them. Um, and and so, so why would that important? Why would that be important? Well, remember, they killed the lamb in the afternoon. Okay, here's Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb. You know what time Jesus will die? Three o'clock. Right, right in the afternoon. That's no accident. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And so he's come during Passover. He's come during this time. Why? To die. Right? He knows that's why he's there. Uh, remember what happened when John the Baptist first saw Jesus. Jesus is walking down. John the Baptist declares, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why did John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God? Because he was the perfect Passover lamb. Do you know how good a lamb is if it's just still walking around living? From a religious perspective, no good at all. Right? It's just a lamb. It's just a pet. It's just an animal, something maybe you eat later, whatever. You, you, you shear it, whatever. But for a lamb to have value from a religious perspective, it had to die. It was to be a sacrifice. And so when John the Baptist declares, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, he is declaring, Here is Jesus who will die for the sins of the world. He will be that perfect sacrifice. So Jesus comes, that perfect, perfect Passover lamb, into Jerusalem. And he will lay down his life as that perfect Passover lamb. So that's what Passover is all about. Unleavened bread, well that was a festival. That was a time when the Jewish people would remove any leaven from their homes. Leaven's kind of like yeast, right? Causes things to rise. But, but, but the, the actual description is leaven was a, a symbol for sin. And so for a week, they would remove any leaven from out of their homes. And, and the, the idea was, okay, we're going to set ourselves apart from God. It also happened in Nisan. Instead of being the 14th day, the, feast, the festival of the Unleavened Bread starts on the 15th day. It goes from the 15th through the 21st. Altogether, they call this the festival of Passover and of Unleavened Bread. So that's the week. All right, that's what's going on. All right, so Passover officially is two days away. Okay, it, and we, we know that, right? Uh, or or it's it, uh, happened two days. After two days was the feast of the Passover. So the description here, two days away, Passover will be coming. Jesus will be sacrificed on that coming Friday. Two days away, that puts this at Wednesday. Okay, so two days before that. That's what's going on here. And, and so we, we have an understanding of, of sort of the timeline that's taking place. Okay, so... Verse 1 goes on, right? After two days of the Feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, 
The chief priests, the scribes, sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. They want to kill Jesus. They, they, the, the chief priests have that in their heart. It is, it, it is on description. That the, the way they want to do it is by craft, right? By craft. What does that mean? Well, another way of saying that, by stealth. Now, we know a little bit about stealth around here. You watch the F-22 Raptors flying over. We know that's considered a stealth aircraft. That means it's hard to see on radar, right? What, what's going, why, do we, why do we call that stealth? Well, it's difficult to detect. So they want to kill Jesus, but they don't want to do it out in front of everybody. Uh, they want to kind of hide it a little bit, right? Why would they want to do that? Well, that's what people do who love power, right? They, they want to eliminate the threat. What, 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 we, what we said before here, what were description, right? The, the, the people, those who love power, seek to eliminate Jesus. And I mentioned it before, but it, it's not new. After Jesus was born, you remember what Herod did? He killed every male in Bethlehem two and a half years or younger. Why? This one who the wise men declared to be the coming king, well, that was a threat to his power. So what did he do? He killed all the males two and a half and younger. He wanted to kill Jesus. He couldn't do it. Why? It wasn't Jesus' time to die. Jesus lived on. Luke 4 notes that in Jesus' public ministry, there's people in his hometown, they, they hear his preaching, they, they hear his declaration of who he is. How do they respond? They want to throw him off a cliff. Right? That, that's what they wanted to do. They can't do it. Why? It wasn't his time to die. We, we've seen other instances in Jesus' ministry where he declares that he is, that he is the Son of God. Remember, the, the Jews picked up stones to throw, him, to, to throw at him, to kill him. Did he die? No. Why? It wasn't his time to die. You know, it wasn't really a surprise that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, it was kind of an open secret in Jerusalem. John 7, verse 25, describes that when Jesus came into the city, they, they spoke of those, and John seven twenty five says, Then said some of them in, of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? <laughs> right? People knew the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. That's what they want to do. Everybody knows it. But they can't do it. Why not? John 10, 18 puts it this way. Jesus, speaking of his life, says, No man taketh from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You want to kill Jesus? You can't. Not unless he lays his life down. You want to set your own timetable for, for killing Jesus? It's not going to happen. The only way it happens is if Jesus chooses voluntarily to lay down his life. That's what Passover would be. Jesus, Jesus would lay down his life. When? Three o'clock at Passover, that same afternoon when the, per, the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Think that's a coincidence? Of course not. Let's look back. Verse 1 says, After two days of the feast of the Passover of the unleavened bread, the chief priests, the scribes, sought how they might take him by craft to put him to death. Verse 2 goes on. They said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. See, the Jewish leaders, they want to put Jesus to death, but they don't want to put him to death right now. See, that wouldn't work too well in, in their plan. In fact, they're not even planning to kill him this week. But, boy, if we kill him in the midst of Passover, that really might upset people. Uh, all this declaration of him being the Lamb of God, 
wouldn't Passover, if, if you're trying to discredit him, wouldn't, wouldn't, from a human standpoint, the worst time for him to die be Passover? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. But they really do want him dead, just not right now. Just not right now. Let's, let, let's get an idea. How many people are in Jerusalem at this time? Well, from the, the records, looking back, right, uh, historians think there are about 50,000 people living in Jerusalem in that day. Uh, if, you, if you put that in the context of during Passover, normally five times that amount came. So about 250,000 people in Jerusalem at that time, most likely. Say, so, well, how, how many is that? If you think of Hampton, about twice the number of people living in Hampton. Okay, so two, two city of Hamptons, right? That gives you kind of a rough idea of about how many people were there at that time. Jewish leaders say, boy, there's a lot of people here. Some of them really like Jesus. Now is not a good time. But you know, it doesn't matter what they, what they think. It's not up to them. Jesus will lay down his life when he wants. There's an idea going around that, that somehow Jesus came to earth during his time. And he was sort of this radical religious teacher. And uh, he was teaching new things that the world just wasn't ready for. Right? He was teaching things that were so good that the, the world just wasn't ready for it. And, and he was teaching things about how to love one another and treat one another. And, and the world, they, they couldn't handle it. It was, just, it was just too much and it upset those, those rigid religious leaders. And, and they, were, they were so upset. So they, they took him to the cross and they killed him. Because they, they just couldn't stand it. You, you know what? Biblically, that, that's not the picture. That's not the portrait. Biblically... Jesus came with the intention to lay down his life. That's why he was born. And they couldn't have taken his life. It wasn't up to the religious leaders. Like, it wasn't like, oh, they just got so upset, so they killed Jesus. <laughs> Jesus came and laid down his life. If Jesus wasn't ready, it wouldn't have happened. If, God was, if this wasn't God's plan, it wouldn't have happened then. Acts 2.23 puts it this way. Him, speaking of Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. What's that saying? There was a predetermined plan and a foreknowledge of God about how and when Jesus would die. If God didn't want Jesus to die then, he wouldn't have died then. You know when Jesus went to the cross? According to God's perfect plan and timing. You know what time Jesus went to the cross? Well, God planned that too. That's when it happened. Sometimes I think we read the Passion Week and we're just like, oh, things are spinning out of control. Oh, you know, like, like as, as though we're, we're reading a mystery novel or, or, you know, a suspense novel and we're like, oh, somebody save them. Some, <laughs> you know, we, we get in that mode. That's not the plan. That's not God's plan. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus is going with the intention of laying down his life. That's what it's all about. He came to be that lamb. He came for that purpose. Now, that doesn't erase the sin, right? That doesn't erase the sin uh, of those who, who, who uh, would, would take his life, those who crucified him. It's still sin. It's still wrong. It just happened according to God's plan. See, people respond to Jesus in a different way, and, and those who are lovers of power, they seek to eliminate Jesus. Is it, is it still that way today? Are there those who love power who, who seek to eliminate Jesus today? 
I, I would say, yeah. Yeah, I would say that's still true. Right? I, I would say that still happens. You know, there are groups, and they call themselves ecumenical, and the idea is that, okay, uh, we just get a bunch of religious people, and we try to work together, and we do something good. Okay, and so we, we, we say well, we get all these religious people together, and, and it may be various groups. It may be Protestant groups. We're within the Protestant camp, broadly. It may be Catholic groups. It may be Orthodox groups. It may be Jewish groups. All of these different people who are religious, and we just get them together. And, and you know, as long as we all get together, we don't have to talk about Jesus. We'll, we'll just say we're religious. And then we'll try to do something good. Right? Whatever, whoever that person is in power who's organizing the group thinks should be on the agenda for this week. Right? And, and maybe it is a good thing. Right? Maybe it's feeding the hungry. That's a good thing. I don't know about you, but I don't really want people to be hungry. I think it's good if people have a good meal. That's not, that's not a bad thing. Right? That's not a bad thing. But maybe they're doing something that's, that's not necessarily good. Maybe it's pushing an agenda or, or values that re, maybe even conflicts with what Scripture says. But, but they, they do it under the name of religion. And they use religion to bring about their ideals. They, they use their religion to wield power. And in that process, you know, there's one threat to that group. There's one that will split it down the seams. And that's if you call Jesus who he truly is. Right? The Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. You start talking about Jesus as being, as being someone who is exclusive. When Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but by me, you start declaring that in that group, and all of a sudden that group splits up. There's not nearly as much power there. So what do we do? We eliminate Jesus. We, we don't pray in Jesus' name anymore. We, we'll upset some of the people who are here. Jesus isn't declared to others as he is. You know, same kind of thing is going on some in our military today. Uh, you know, chaplains have been encouraged to, to stop praying in Jesus' name at times. There's been pressure put on chaplains at different times to, to stop praying in Jesus' name. How do you know that? Well, I've had chaplains tell me that. <laughs> I know, right? That doesn't mean they have to do it, right? But that doesn't mean it helps their career advancement either, right? Some people are making choices in this regard. And uh, don't talk so much about Jesus. See, what happened? If you want more power, if you want career advancement, well, just drop that Jesus stuff. We'll help you get along further. We looked at it today. How do people respond to Jesus? Well, first of all, lovers of power seek to eliminate Jesus. But secondly, lovers of money seek to use Jesus. Look ahead in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box, poured it on his head. There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. All right, Bethany. Where's Bethany? Bethany is the place where Lazarus was raised from the grave. You remember that? He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. It's also apparently the home of Simon the leper. Now, Simon either didn't have leprosy, because if he did, they wouldn't have been in his house, or he, he, you know, perhaps he was cured, or perhaps he had passed away previously. We don't really know, and uh, we don't really know who this Simon is. It would be like, it would be like saying, okay, we're, we're at John's house in Hampton. Well, there's a lot of Johns in Hampton, right? I mean, we, we don't know specifically who this one was in history, and verse 3 doesn't give us any more identification about that. Um, John does identify that those who are with him, there's Mary and there's Martha's 
uh, Martha, and they were Lazarus's sisters, and it's actually Mary who breaks the box of oil, right? And so John identifies her. Uh, how much was it worth? Verse 5 tells us 300 pence, and uh, another word for that is denarii. You've probably heard that term before. You say, well, how much is that? How much is that? Remember, one denarii is about one day's wage, right? For a, a normal working laborer type person, one day's wage. If you went into work in the morning, you left in the evening, at the end of the day, you would get one denarii. So this is 300. So uh, we're, we're approaching, you know, almost a, year, a year's worth of wages. Pretty, pretty extensive if you think about it. I don't know what we would put that in terms of today's money. Um, let's just pick a number. We'll say $25,000, okay? You think labor salary um, for a year's wages or almost a year's wages, uh, you know, may have been a little higher, may have been a little less. Kind of hard to say, uh, but, but around that, okay? Um, so they, she breaks the, breaks the box, pours it on Jesus, and they're upset. Think about it today in, in this way. Why would you waste $25,000 to worship Jesus? Right, Mark, right, right here in, uh, in Mark, it, it says that, in verse 4, it says that some had indignation within themselves about it, spoke about it. Matthew actually notes that it's the disciples who were involved with some of this indignation. John is more explicit. In John 12, verse 6, it says, This he said... Not that he cared for the poor, speaking of Judas, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Another way of saying that. He didn't say this, speaking of Judas, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Who started this? Judas got mad first. Right? Judas is the one who gets angry. He's the one who keeps the money. He likes the money so much. He's holding the money for the disciples. He's like their treasurer. And he's pocketing some of that money for himself along the way. Right? He, he is a lover of money. That's, that's what he is. And so lovers of money, what are they going to do? They're going to seek to use Jesus. So here's, here's Judas. He's upset about it. He's already stealing. What is he going to do? How is he going to respond to this? Well, look ahead to verse 10. Gives us the answer. Verse 10 says, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. All right, so imagine, imagine if you're the chief priests. All right, you want to kill Jesus. You don't really want to kill him this week. You say, well, we've got to figure out a way to do this. We've got to do it craftily. We've got to do it stealthily. We've got to do it under the radar. How are we going to get it done? Probably something that never crossed your mind is, hey, let's go to the disciples and ask them, <laughs> right? Hey, let's go to his followers, the people who really like him, and ask them. They were probably shocked when Judas showed up, right? They were probably absolutely surprised, something they had never even thought of. And, and you know, he, he says, you know, here's how we're going to get it done. <laughs> Use me. I'll help you out. You want him gone? Hey, so do I. Verse 11 goes on. When they heard it, speaking to the chief priests there, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. What's the point? Lovers of money seek to use Jesus. What are they doing? He, he, he is saying, okay, I'll, I'll sell you Jesus. I'll sell, just give me money. I'll sell him to you. You can have him. You can do with him whatever you want. You can work out your plan. You know, there's some guys in life who are, are trying to figure out, you know, 
the, the way in which they can go through life trying to do something that, that isn't very difficult. Uh, and, and I'll put this in the context of pastors here for a moment. Right? Let's pick on the pastors a bit. There's kind of this idea, uh, actually, of, of guys who go to seminary, you know, that, that sometimes people show up at seminary thinking, boy, I just kind of want a cushy job. I want a place where I can go, where, uh, you know, I can sit in an office all day and read books and, uh, you know, just sit back, don't have to work with my hands, don't have to do hard labor, that kind of thing. I just like to sit at a desk. There's always going to be religion. It'll always be there. You know, it'll be fine. Some people say, well, you know, if I just get in with this larger church or this larger church group, I'll be guaranteed basically a salary in retirement. I'm, I can look forward to that one day. And uh, some people look at pastors' jobs that way. And, and there are guys, I think, who get into seminary for that purpose. Right? I, I think I know a couple of those guys, <laughs> if you, you want to be pretty direct about it. Right? They're the guys who, who, when they were in seminary, I went up to them and said, Hey, I know you're, you know, this Saturday we have something going on. Would you be willing to serve? And they said, no, I'm not doing that. Right? Is, is there financial re- remuneration? I've had that response before. You know, I, I think I know these guys. Well, who are these people? They're lovers of money. Right? They want to use Jesus to enrich themselves. Yeah, we think about our nation and what's going to happen uh, here as our nation continues. And, uh, you know, we, we think about churches. Who, who's going to be willing to, to take a stand for Jesus in the coming years? It's becoming more and more unpopular. And there begin to be more and more financial incentive, even in churches, to deny Christ. So what are you talking about? Well... I'll give you an example. You know, recently in the news, we, you probably saw the news up there in Loudoun County. They had a, had a boy dressed up in a skirt so that he could go into the girls' restroom. He assaulted a, a young lady there. What, what happened? Well, because of the politics of it, it got covered up, right? We're not going to tell anybody this. Okay, school board meeting comes up. They ask the superintendent about it. No, it never happened. Publicly says, no, it never happened girl's dad is in the room. He loses it. Well, they do. They arrest him. Right? They arrest him. School board talks about it says, well, that guy's just unhinged. You can't believe him. Right? Uh, that's what they actually put out in the news. And that kind of went for a little while until the same boy dressed in the same skirt goes into the ladies' restroom and, and assaults another, one, another girl. And then it starts coming out. Now school board members are resigning, the ones who allowed it to happen. Well, so what happens when that same type of thing happens here and, and restrooms are, are, are declared to be, okay, you have to allow anybody to go into any restroom. Right? You have to allow that to happen. Church, are you going to allow that to happen? If, if you don't set up gender-neutral restrooms, we're going to take away your tax exemption status. All right, pastor, what are you going to do? Well, there will be some who love money, and there will be some who love their status, and they will go right along with it. I have no doubt. Right? What happened? People who love money, they'll use Jesus. That's what will happen. The pressure's already starting. That's not new. It's a temptation we all have to be careful about. Right? There will probably be times in your workplace where you're encouraged to do that unchristian thing, to advance or get ahead. Lovers of money use Jesus. That's what they do. 
We cannot minister the gospel for our own financial advantage. All right, so how do people respond to Jesus? First of all, we saw that lovers of power seek to eliminate Jesus. Secondly, lovers of money seek to use Jesus. But thirdly, true believers extravagantly worship Jesus. Look back to verse 3. Verse 3 says, Being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, in other words, they're eating, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard, very precious. She break the box, poured it on his head. All right, customs in that day, you're eating. Think low table, pillows, right? Cushions there. People who are eating often recline. They're reclined back on their arm, laying down next to the table. And, uh, you know, meals are not like 20-minute affairs like we do today or, or maybe 30 minutes. You scarf it down, get up and go, right? These are hour long things, multi-hour things, right? You, you, you have a, an afternoon where you're just reclining at the table eating. And uh, so we say, well, I, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. All right, so, so a, as that custom is going down, okay, she, she brings this alabaster box of ointment, think of it like perfume, taken from of spike nerd, right? Nard is, is actually the, the description there, a rare root found only in India. She takes the, the, this, uh, this box, or think of it as maybe like a vase, something like that, right? And, and typically it was in a jar with a narrow neck. So you might have like a gooseneck jar. And, and they would, uh, sometimes it was sealed. The whole jar was just sealed with glass. Sometimes it had a stopper. You know, we don't know which. And she, she takes it, she breaks the neck of the jar and dumps the whole bottle starting on Jesus' head and uh, we don't have it here in Mark, but parallel passage notes that she goes all the way down in, uh, in John, all the way down to his feet. Because uh, normally we'd say, well, how'd she get it on his feet? Wouldn't they be under the table? Well, <laughs> he's laying down beside the table, okay? So remember the custom here. All right, so $25,000 are just poured on Jesus' head. That, that's what takes place. So why in the world has this been wasted? Right? Couldn't that money have been used, given to the poor? They're scolding her over this. How dare you do such a thing? By all accounts, I think we'd say that's extravagant, right? That, that's extravagant worship, $25,000 like that. I mean, maybe somebody here today would say, uh, yeah, pastor, don't worry about it. When you pass the plate, I'll just drop $25,000 in, no, no problem at all. Now, I would say that's pretty extravagant. I would say that's pretty extravagant in of itself. But you know what? If you put $25,000 in an offering plate... That gets used like in a building or something like that. I'm not asking for money. Understand, this is not, this is not fundraising here, okay? But, but if, somebody, if somebody puts $25,000 in an offering plate, it, it gets used and put into a building or something like that or a building project or, or some fund. For, and, and what happens? It, it keeps blessing the ministry for years. You know how long that perfume lasts that she poured on his head? I mean, she poured it on there, it smelled up the room, and by the next day, it's gone. I mean, it's not like there was some lasting ministry value or, or something like that. It, it was there, and it was gone. $25,000 used and wasted, and, and they're sitting there saying, wow, that, that's crazy. I mean, the, the, the end of verse 5 says they murmured against her, right? Was Mary required to do this? No. There was nothing requiring her to do that. But here's the next question. Did Jesus welcome it? Look at verse 6. Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Right? Let her alone. What, what's he saying? Close your mouth. Right? Be quiet. Leave her alone. 
But, but what about the poor, Jesus? What about the poor? Verse 7. You have the poor with you always. Whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. What's his point? The, the, the tension here is not, do you use money to worship Jesus or do you give it to the poor? The tension here is, Jesus is still going to be in a tomb. <laughs> his body is not going to be with you anymore, you know, much longer. What are you going to do while he's here? And Mary answered and he said, she said, I'm going to anoint him with the best that I have. I'm going to take that family heirloom. I know he's going to a cross. I know there's not much time to be with him. And I am going to anoint his body. And I'm going to prepare his body for what's yet to come. I don't care what anybody thinks. You think she didn't know that there would be a response to her action? She said, I don't care what anybody thinks. Snap, poor. Just like that. That's what she did. And Jesus says, that's a good thing. Verse 8 goes on, she had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You see, this account took place about 2,000 years ago. And we're still talking about Mary today. We're still reading about the extravagant worship of Mary today. And I think to some degree, we're still sitting here a little bit in awe. That here she is taking her family heirloom, this $25,000, probably most valuable thing that she has in her possession. Snap poor. I'm going to use it for my Lord, just like that. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, you know, today many people reject extravagant worship. Let's take an example. One of the things that we do today is, is uh, often, you know, people will take shortcuts. Things that, that should be an act of worship to Jesus, such as even acting with honesty and integrity. And people will take a shortcut. Oh, well, no one will know. It won't matter. You know, extravagant worship still does the right thing, even when no one else sees it. You fill out every bit of your income on your taxes. You include it all on there. Now, you probably never get it audited, right? but people will sit there and tell you, hey, you do that, you'll never get ahead. You'll never get ahead that way. Do you respond? Yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. Because if I lie, it won't honor my God. It won't honor my Savior. You know, think about missionaries for a minute. People will go to another country, sometimes with poor health care. Some of them take their kids there, raise their kids. Boy, what happens if they get sick over there and there aren't these good doctors that we have over here? What's going to happen to them? Why in the world would you ever want to do that? Well, because it pleases my God. It's what he's called me to. Maybe you're in a workplace somewhere where you know, if you make it abundantly known that you're a believer, it's going to cost you. It may cost you that promotion. You may miss out on what's ahead. You're willing to hide Jesus so that you can get that extra money. Some say, why do you give so much to church? You know, you could have a brand new car every five years if you just didn't give that offering. 
What are you doing? Well, I want to worship my God. Do you tell co-workers about the gospel? Do you hide them? Do you start to speak and somebody says, well, you know management knows what you're doing. <laughs> That's going to come up. Don't use Jesus. Why do you come to church on Sundays? You could be working. Some places will give you time and a half on Sundays. Do the math. That's a lot of money every month. Some of you are giving that up to be here. You know what that is? That's worshiping Jesus. That's extravagant worship. See, there are many people who will object to extravagant worship. But you know who will not object to that? Jesus. Jesus will never object to that. He accepts extravagant worship of true believers. And what, regardless of whether or not other people question it, we should be committed to having a heart like Mary's, willing to extravagantly worship our Savior, and to worship Him in extravagant ways. Let's look to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the example that You've laid out before us today. Father, we know that those who love power and those who love money will fail to understand extravagant worship. Father, may we be believers like Mary having a heart that desires to extravagantly worship our Savior. Father, I pray for everyone who's listening today. Perhaps there's been some area where we recognize we have been failing to extravagantly worship you. Father, perhaps it's an area where we have been dishonest. Perhaps it's an area where we have just simply hidden our Savior so that we could gain greater financial stability. Father, I pray for those who even just this moment are thinking of those things in their minds. Pray, Lord, that you would help them to confess and forsake sin. Father, maybe they'd be sensitive to your leading. Father, we pray that you would help each and every one of us expand our worship to be more and more extravagant. Because we know that the extravagant worship of Jesus will be accepted when it comes from all true believers. Father, we're grateful for the power of your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.